Welcome to the Philosophy Podcast, where host and lacrosse expert Jamie Monroe will do what he does best, talk about lacrosse. Each episode will provide listeners with education, insights, stories, and lessons about the lacrosse world. We will discuss current events, coaching, philosophies, and college lacrosse recruiting. Now let's get started with your host, Jamie Monroe. All right, everybody, I'd like to welcome Brian Holman, head coach of the Utah Utes, to the Philacrosophy Podcast. Brian, really happy to have you on the show. How are you doing? Uh, doing great, Jamie. Thank you so much for having me and just enjoying the beautiful day out here in Utah. So all is well. People do not realize just how great the weather is out west. I mean, like on this side of the Rockies, okay, where um, when I look to the west, you know, it's about 50 degrees, sunny, beautiful view. How's it over there on the other side of the Rockies? Yeah, it, 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 I, I agree with you. I, I get asked on a regular basis, like, you know, what are you most surprised or what, what, what do you like most about Utah or whatever? And, I did, you know, two things come to my mind. One is the people out here are fantastic, but the weather is a thousand times different than what I expected, really. Um, so today's 50 degrees. There's not a cloud in the sky. You look outside in the mountains, and, and the cool part about Salt Lake, and, I, and unless you've been here, we're literally surrounded by mountains, you know, to the east, to the west, and we sit down in a little bit of a valley, similar to, to, to Denver, but, but we're a lot closer to the mountains than Denver is, right. and uh, it's snow-capped up on the top, and it's just gorgeous, man, and, uh, and 50 here, 45 here is like 60 back east. Yeah. Yeah, the dry All good. Sunny and dry almost every day. Um, yep. Well, Brian, I got a bunch of topics I want to go over with you. Um, and, um, you know, I want to make sure that people kind of uh, know your history. And um, I want to do a little reverse chronological order here and uh, <laughs> talk about where you just came from. Spent eight years on the staff with Coach Bresci at North Carolina and, um, and recruited my son. And uh, it's where we really kind of got to know each other a little bit. And um, But just give yeah. us a little bit of a, a picture of like, you know, what you learned from that experience, um, what you loved about it, and what it was like to, to coach your own son. And, um, and just tell us, give us a few stories, a few thoughts on that program and, and what you sort of learned from it. Oh, my gosh, Jamie. Yeah, I, I mean, you know, it, it, was, it was arguably the, the most uh, challenging, fun, um, I, I could I could throw out about a million adjectives. I, I learned so much uh, about myself. I uh, learned so much uh, from Coach Bresch uh, on how to organize and, and run a, a major Division One program. Uh, I was blessed to be able to sit next to Chris Feist, uh who's become one of my dear friends. I, I, I you know, Chris. I, I I tell I jokingly call him like a, a, another son, but we we had much more of a, a, a friendship type relationship. Uh, over the we were there seven years together and then the last two years I was there I was I was blessed to have Dave Metzbauer sit next to me and, and Metzi and I go way back and we're dear dear friends so that was just a chance of a lifetime um, you know I don't think people realize I, I think there's a mis misconception and I don't I don't really care but I just to give people a background is you know when I went down with Joe um, you know my job was to volunteer assistant and, and, you know, Bresh and I met for a long time. We didn't really know each other deeply. 
Um, and, and he asked me to come down and, you know, there was no income. There was, you know, uh, you got to start the camp business up, uh, and, and generate revenue that way. And Joe said, I'll pay you through our camps. And, and a lot of people uh, thought that I was retired and was wealthy, uh, <laughs> independently wealthy, which was, which was not true at all. Um, so, so this was a jump off the, of the cliff for us as a family. And, and I, you know, I blessed talked about, about my, my wife all the time allowing me to do this, but this was my dream and my passion. Um, I've always felt that I was at my best as a human being when I was on the lacrosse field uh, coaching kids, whether they were five-year-old kids or 22-year-old or kids. Um, and, and she allowed me to, to go and, and, and Joe allowed me to be part of that staff to, to follow that passion. So I, I just, I can't, I can't thank him enough uh, and the university enough for all I learned and and we had a blast, man. It was a heck of a challenge, and and Joe and I's relationship grew uh, every year, just from a from a volunteer uh, assistant coach to 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 where I think he and I just had a real special relationship of where I could tell him anything, and I was kind of his eyes and ears, and and uh, we had a really strong trust and bond, and and ultimately he knew that all I wanted for him was was to what he wanted, and that was to to take this program back to to being a national championship contender. Uh, which we were all able to do over the course of uh, the eight years I was there. So uh, nothing but awesome, you know, a lot of trying times, obviously, and that's part of growth. Uh, we talk about it all the time as, as, as coaches and as people, as human beings, you only grow through really through adversity. Uh, if you're willing to, to, to open your eyes and learn from those things. And, and we did a lot of that down there together. So you know, uh, I was always the volunteer. Uh, he had offered me a couple of times during that process to, to move into other positions, but I always felt that my role was best served on that staff and at that university as the volunteer. And uh, that, that was my choice. And uh, we built camp business up really well, and I was able to earn a, earn a good living uh, while we were there and, and, uh, and, and, and hopefully affect a lot of kids' lives to a, for, to a positive degree, which I think we did. And so... Um, you know, and to switch gears a little bit, Jamie, I know I'm rambling on here, but I could go on for an hour on, on that experience alone. Um, you know, uh, coach and Marcus is, you know, uh, was nothing but a pleasure, uh, for, for me, uh, he might have another, uh, uh, a, a viewpoint on that, but, uh, you know, my focus used most of the time when I was at Carolina was on the defensive side of the ball. So I wasn't like really with him every day. Uh, on that side of the field but the beauty of, of 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 having to be able to see your son every day and I actually had two boys on the team my oldest son Matthew was the backup goalie down there for two years oh, uh, so I was blessed yeah that's to cool. have both of those kids you know my kids in my life every day uh, so uh, doing doing things that we love the sport of lacrosse so you know if my life would have ended right there and my daughter Sydney played for Jenny uh, at UNC so so I just, I'm just blessed, man. I, I just, I was so grateful for, for, for that time in our lives um, to be able to share with them. But, you know, uh, Mark and I, I've coached Mark, you know, similar to how you probably were with Colin every step of the way from, from little league lacrosse all the way up, you know, through, through club lacrosse. Um, and I want to share with you something, Jamie, is it all right? Uh, this story, um, is that good? Um, you there? Yeah. All right. Um, and, and the reason I, I valued my time there was uh, 
I coached Mark in Little League football. Um, and Marcus was a heck of a football player. We always thought that he was going to go to college and play football. And he was probably 11, 12 years old. And we were in this really tough league in Baltimore, Carroll County Football League. And when we started at, at Lutherville, our team was couldn't didn't win a game. And we built this program up over the years. By the time Mark and his group was 12, 13 years old, we were we were starting to knock on the door of playoffs in Little League football. And playing teams like Arbutus and Reisterstown and Sykesville and, and Westminster, some really tough football areas back uh, in the Baltimore area. And, and Marcus, we were playing Sykesville in a, in a big game. And uh, to go into the playoffs, I believe it was. And, and long story short, Mark had a great game up until like the last two or three minutes and he tried to do too much, ended up fumbling and, and kind of costing us the game. And, I, and we were driving back in our car, and he was sitting in the back seat. And I and I I, got, I was really I really got into him really really bad. And I remember looking in my rearview mirror and seeing tears start to come down his his face. Uh, and this is a transforming part of me as a coach. Uh, and when I we got home, he got out of the car and went right up to his room. And my wife said, you know, what's wrong? And and I told her, and I felt horrible. Like I just. I literally felt like I, I, I never want this situation to be again where, where, where a, a coach and a son, it, it just, I didn't want that for our, to be our relationship. And I remember going up to his room later and apologizing to him and, and crying with him about, I will never be like that again. And, and so, so, so from that point forward, our relationship on a field completely changed. And, and my relationship with other players changed you know, of, 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 of not like taking it out on them. And I was like, what am I doing? This isn't the kind of coach I want to be. And so, so from that point forward, I mean, I, I, we earnestly, every day we were together uh, on a field was just an absolute blessing. Uh, And then we got to the point in college where if Mark needed to talk to me, he did, but for the most part, he was old enough and, 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 you know, to handle things on his own. Uh, and, and we, we, we just shared mostly the good times together. And, and if, and if, you know, if he thought, you know, he, if he wanted my opinion on something, he'd come to me, but very rarely would I go to him and offer my opinion on how he was playing or what he was doing. Cause that wasn't my business that, 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 that he was a, you know, an offensive player at North Carolina being coached by great coaches, Pat Myers for his first few years, all actually all the way through. Um, and that, that was, that was his business, not mine. Yeah. So I don't think that's an easy thing uh, to do as a parent. I, I, I don't, I don't, I, you know, uh, it took, a, it takes a lot of willpower uh, on both sides to, to, but what, what, what we wanted was we just wanted to have fun with this. Like this is a chance of a lifetime. Why would we want to make it miserable on each other um, by, 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 you know, by crossing those boundaries, you know what I mean? So totally, anyhow, um, it's, a, it's an amazing story. Yeah. And there's so many of us that have or do, coach our kids and um and it's not easy you know it's not easy you know and it it it, especially not easy if you're the head coach or if you're actually like coaching them you know like you you're lucky enough to be coaching the goalies and the defense and not worrying about the offense and so uh to be able to you know apologize when you've said something you you didn't mean and and to be able to make adjustments is uh it's awesome it's really special i want to talk a ton about The Phil Philosophy Podcast is brought to you in part by the JM3 Coaches Training Program. 
If you are a coach interested in sharpening your saw, like so many of the guests on the show, you are going to love the content in this program. Go to www.jm3coaches.com for more information. I want to talk a ton about Utah lacrosse. We're going to get there, but I want to beam back really quickly to uh, the early and mid and later 80s because you played at Hopkins. You grew up in Baltimore, grad, won a championship, were a three-time All-American, um, and then coached at Hopkins. And I would just love, and I think the listeners would love to hear, we had Dave Petromala on last week. Um, you got to give us a little Petro story as a player um, at some point. <laughs> tell, us, tell us what it was like playing at Hopkins back in the day and, and um, you know, um, give us a couple of thoughts and stories, what you've gathered from that, from playing and coaching at Johns Hopkins, and, and then mm. we'll bridge the gap where you took a little time off yeah. from coaching, and then amazingly you're the head coach at a, you know, Pac-12 school. It's amazing. So let's, let's hear about the old, the old days for a minute. Yeah, I, I, and I appreciate you asking me because I don't, I don't get a chance to talk about this too much. You know, I, I, talk, I share stories with my staff, with the guys, um, you know, I, I was blessed. I, I To this day, I have that bad dream where you wake up and think, man, did I actually graduate from, from that university? You know, where's that, where's that diploma? Because uh, I, I wasn't the brightest bulb on the tree when I was a, a student in high school. And, and uh, I was so fortunate enough to land at Johns Hopkins. It was between them and Maryland. Uh, an interesting story is, is you know, I could go way back, but I, I transferred to Severn School from a public school. I grew up in the way southern part of Anne Arundel County, Jamie. I grew up on a tobacco farm in Lothian, Maryland. And uh, my junior year in high school, I, I ended up transferring to Severn uh, School in Severna Park. Uh, by the grace of God, my lacrosse coach in my public school thought I was good enough to continue to play. To this day, I don't know who paid for me to go to Severn, and that's something that I've, I've worked I, – honest to God, I've worked on that since I graduated um you just and, and from there I know it wasn't us because we had no money <laughs> so <laughs> you know that was a simple deduction <laughs> you know so my my father left when I was early my mom raised uh, five kids by herself and working multiple jobs and and uh I've been I worked started working on that tobacco farm when I was 11 years old so I knew it wasn't us so uh but I was, I've been blessed, and lacrosse is why, so why I love this game so much, Jamie. It's given yeah. me everything I have in my life, and, and I owe a debt of gratitude to it that's bigger than just coaching. Um, and, and it's a special, special game that has special people involved. So when I got to Hopkins, it was kind of a little bit of a fish out of water. Um, but, but our culture there is a similar culture that I'm going to try to uh, bring into play here to some degree. Um, you know, we, we had – when I got, when I was a freshman, uh, we, we were just playing, I think, in our third straight national championship game. Um, and, and our culture there was one of uh, a strong brotherhood. Uh, we, we, it was blue collar mentality. Uh, and we prided ourselves on being a really tough, hard nosed lacrosse team. And we got that strictly from one person. And that was Henry Chicaroni Sr. Um, I, I look back at Chick, uh, Jamie, and I, I just – he was the most competitive, toughest uh, coach that I have ever, ever been around. Uh, and, and he instilled in us a competitive desire and a level that, 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 that I, I don't know if it, if it can be done anymore today. Um, you know, we, we, we practiced harder than any game I ever played in, period, bar none. Uh, and, and that was every day. That wasn't like once a week or twice a week. Um, so, so Chick, 
Chick really set the foundation for, for that program in my era. And I was blessed. I played in four straight national championship games, um, lost three, started in three and lost three by a total of four goals. Um, North Carolina, 14-13, North Carolina, 7-5, and, and Syracuse, 17-16. And in my senior year, 1983, that was the start of Syracuse's first yeah. Final Four. And they went on 22, I think 22 years straight after that. Um, so, so, you know, those were down periods, but, but, but being able to play in those four games and what I learned, um, I'd be remiss if I to talk about Hopkins and not bring Freddie Smith's name up. And uh, Freddie, Freddie was probably the biggest influence in my life as a, as a male, besides my older brothers. Um, Freddie took me in when I was at, at, at Hopkins and, and, it was a great father figure in my life. So a lot of what I try to give back to my kids uh, that play for me is similar to what, what, what Freddie, what Freddie gave to me. Uh, he was, he was tough on you, but he was there to put an arm around you. Uh, and you knew he cared and he loved you. Uh, and, 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 and he never said it. Uh, I'm not afraid to say it to my boys, but, 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 but he, he showed that to me and a lot of kids that like people that played at Hopkins and, He's revered in that program. He, you know, you go back and look at the history of Hopkins. It, it really almost all revolves around Freddie Smith. Um, and I got a quick story for you, if you don't mind. I'll give you a yeah. Petra story, but I'll give you a, a Freddie story that, that yes. resonates dear to my heart, and it's a big part of our program. So we have a part of our absolutes in our, in our, in our team bill, uh, pillars and our binder is that we never run, never walk uh, on or off a lacrosse field. Uh, and my kids wanted to know where that came from. And, and, Two reasons. One is I feel you I have to honor the field and you honor the, the field that we play on by, by running onto the field. That's just me, uh, how, how I look at things and, and by running off the field. Right. Um, but the, where I got it from was in 1987, I was an assistant coach uh, with uh, coach with Donnie Zimmerman. Uh, we were playing in the uh, national champion, uh, actually the semifinal game um, at the uh, university. Uh, we were at Rutgers and we we're playing Maryland. Uh, and Maryland had an unbelievable team. They were undefeated going into that Final Four game in 1987. Yeah. They had beat us earlier in the year. They had waxed us, actually. I think it was 15 to four, 14 to four. Maryland was buddy, uh, Jimmy Beardmore in the goal, and yeah. they were they were loaded. They were loaded. So uh, Freddie at the time was just diagnosed with uh, lung cancer. Um, uh, I believe it was lung cancer about a week or two prior to that game. And he was, he had, he was really, really, really sick. They had been sick kind of off and on all the year, but the diagnosis just came out. So he didn't come up with us as the team on the team. His wife drove him up uh, just that morning for the game. And he came in the locker room and he didn't look very well. After the, the team broke to go out on the field for the opening phase, Freddie was walking and, and at Rutgers, there was a, there was a long, uh, wooden steps coming down from the locker room to the end zone of the field. And I was walking with coach. We got to the corner and the team had already ran on to the field and Freddie had his towel around his neck is 80, 80 and five, 90 degrees. And Freddie always wore a towel and his light blue jacket and a hat on. And I turned around, I looked at him and said, coach, you know, are you okay. You want me to walk across the field with you? And he looked at me and he said, Oh man, you know, we never walk on or off a field and he said go ahead and I started running across the field and I turn around and look and here's this here's this this figure in my life in our lives slowly jogging across the field filled with cancer 
Uh, and that would have been the last game that Freddie coached with uh, Johns Hopkins. And, and we went on to win a national championship and he died a week later. Wow. Um, so, so, so the reason why it's important for me and my team to run on and off the field is a large part of Freddie Smith uh, to look back at that man and, and know that, you know, his, to his last dying days, he, he was going to run on that field. So um, that's, that's a story of Hopkins, you know, and again, I was blessed to be there and, and I met so many wonderful people and friends. Uh, I was fortunate enough to coach with, with Don Zimmerman, who, who is a great mentor and dear friend of mine. And as you know, Jamie, one of the greatest technicians in the, in the game today, still um, and fundamentally sound and, and, you know, coach was Zim and it threw a, a, in 1990 and we were, we were in two national championships, 87 and 89. Uh, and the 89 game against Syracuse, a lot of people say that was, uh, you know, the, the, the dawn of a new era in lacrosse, right? Um, yep. the, the, we lost to Syracuse 13 to 12, but, uh, and that was, that was coaching Petro back then. And, and uh, David won't like me to say this, but, but, uh, I was assigned by Coach Zim to, to, to kind of keep an eye on Coach uh, Petro, uh, his early years at, at Hopkins. And uh, and I just remember certain times where, where David would just say to me, you know, God, why does he have to be so hard on us? And, you know, why why, why do we have to do all this running and, and so on and so forth? And, you know, and I would just say, hey, you know, David, that's just the way it is, man. You either, either get on board or, or you know, Zim's not going to play you. So, you know, you got to figure it out. But – uh, David was an awesome, awesome guy to coach and to be around. His, his presence on that lacrosse team, uh, 87, 88, 89, was just uh, just like he is today. He's just a wonderful human being, and, and he gave his teammates everything he had. Uh, I think David would, would admit that he wasn't the greatest practice player in the world. Um, but, 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 you know, sometimes as coaches, you know, you, you, you got to make exceptions because when game time came around, there was nobody better. And, and he, he proved that. So, so, you know, you're, you're much more willing to work with guys like that, but his personality and, and his fearlessness, uh, the way he played the game um, really was what, what made those teams work for us, I think uh, defensively. Um, so, so he, you know, I was blessed. I've got a chance to coach, you know, that whole staff. I actually coached Billy Dwan was on that team and Billy actually worked for me for a few years in the mortgage business. And, I was helped part of help recruit Bobby Benson and, and when I was there with Halsey in 2000 and, uh, and, and, and coach Bobby for a year or two at, at Hopkins. So uh, I've had a, I've had a long time in this game and, and I've been Brian Volker coached him and yeah. Seth Tierney. And I just, you know, I'm just so yeah. grateful, man, that, that I had all Scotty Moore. I have all those guys in my life and now I'm coaching against them and awesome. they would have probably never bet that would have happened, but you know, uh, this old guy's got a lot left in him, and uh, I'm just fired up to hopefully be able to play some of them at some point in time. Uh, yeah, so. the, one, um, the one story I have to bring up from my memories, and uh, were you on the staff in 84? You were, right? Yeah. So in 1984, there was lacrosse was on TV. I was a junior in high school in 1984, and uh, lacrosse was on TV only in the finals, and uh, there was that three straight years where it was Hopkins-Syracuse, and I remember yeah. this freshman that I'd never heard of at the time because I was in Providence, Rhode Island. There was no, no TV, no Brian, TV. Brian Wood. Brian Wood scores <laughs> first three goals in the game, including a goal that goes down. It has to go down in history as, as good of a goal as ever 
Herman scored. He knocked, he knocked the microphone off the corner, didn't he? Catches it on, <laughs> off the point on a fast break. He's getting a little bit over. Yep. Pins to his left, rips a low to high shot, pins the upper right pipe, knocks the <laughs> microphone off yeah. the pipe. And let me just tell you, that shot cost me – I don't know how many goals in my career because I just tried to shoot that shot and if I was camera high and low, I probably wouldn't score. I just kept trying to make that shot. And and meanwhile, he's a right and I'm a lefty. So anyway, so a great memory from those days. Brian Brian Wood, you know, the look the true lacrosse people don't know much about Brian Wood. I think some the guys that are really know lacrosse know Brian Wood. In my mind, if you were to ask me the top five players that ever played in lacrosse, Brian Wood would be in the top five for sure, for sure. I mean, he 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 was. And and a quick story about Brian. So Brian worked for me as well for four or five years after college uh, in my mortgage business. And and he, I got him. You know, he actually ended up starting his own company uh, right after ours pushed him kind of out the door. And we're dear friends to this day. We 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 had houses in Sherwood Forest, but. One thing people don't realize about Woody is Woody's like 5'11", probably weighed 185, 190, maybe six feet. But, Jamie, he had the biggest forearms of any person I've ever been around in my life. Like, literally, just Popeye-type forearms. And he could shoot the ball left and right-handed back in the early 80s, which, you know, as you know, that wasn't that wasn't a thing back then, right? You know, there, there were a lot of one-handed players back in those days. Um, and Woody was Woody, Woody was one of the best players of, of all time. And in 1987, he basically stands up, and he's a, he's the guy that carries a big stick. He's the the, the walk the, the walk soft, carry a big stick kind of guy. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Like Woody wasn't a very vocal. He led by example. He just played, and and he was one of the greatest. And and the only time I heard him talk in in three years that I was coaching 84 to 87 when he was there, all right was. The night before we played Maryland, um, when everybody said they were going to beat the crap, he stood up in front of the team after dinner and basically said, boys, we're not losing this game, all right? Just trust me and follow me. We're not losing this game. And that's the only thing he said I've ever heard him say to the team. And I think he was 5-2 and two, uh, in that game. Um, but one of the greatest lacrosse players of, of all time. And no uh, for you young guys, look at – go pull up Ryan Wood and look at some of his old highlights if they're there. And, his stick work was impeccable. Carried the stick right by his ear constantly. He could snack him. What's that? Played yeah, old Sam head. Yep. He could snap a BTB from ear, from right from his ear without without moving. You know, and again, he he didn't play like a Canadian, but he had very similar skill sets to to, to some of our Canadian brethren. So I'm glad you brought that up. Well, let's fast forward now uh, to all of a sudden, you know, you're interviewing for the. Uh, the job at the University of Utah, you get it. And now it's time to, wow, massive uh, project in front of you. Everything from, you know, recruiting while trying to get the funding to make it a Division One program to figuring out how to build a culture and, and now catch up to everybody else so you can start uh, competing for a championship. So maybe give us, some, give us a little rundown on what that process was like and how it continues. Yeah, it, it's, uh, it's, been, it's been phenomenal. It's, it's, it's Again, I'm a blessed man. Every time I step into something, it seems to turn out uh, that it's better than the time before. So, you know, we, we just, you know, won't go into boring details on how I got here and all that good stuff is that we're here now and, and we're starting our third year. Uh, we just jumped. 
honestly, Jamie, I, you know, the key for me, first of all, was a, uh, was this going to be a place where uh, I was going to be allowed to, 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 to kind of be myself uh, and build a program uh, the way that I, I, I envisioned it being built through, through, through Don Zimmerman and, and Henry Ciccaroni and Freddie Smith and, and Joe Brushies and John Donowski's and, and, and you and, and, and Coach Tierney and just all these guys that I've studied and, 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 and held in such high esteem over, over the years and trying to take bits and pieces of all them, but, but make it my own. And that was number one. And, and number two was, was uh, were we going to be able to build a program that was going to be able to compete for and or win a national championship one day? Because, you know, that, that was my main emphasis on, on wanting to be in this position. Um, and, then, and then the third piece was, are we going to be allowed to, to, to be ourselves out here and grow this game and, and do what Adam Gittleman just did, you know, taking two weeks off and, and touring the, the whole Northwest, giving free clinics to kids and trying to grow this game that we all love so much. So once I felt that, that those pieces were going to be acceptable, then it was just dive head in. And, and then the next step for me was, was getting surrounded by who I thought were, were the greatest young men and greatest people uh, in the sport of lacrosse right now. And, and I was blessed that the three guys that I wanted, all three said yes. And, and you know, Marcus, obviously, and, and, and not because he's my son, and, and I think you know Mark well enough, it's – I just admire his passion and his work ethic and his ability to, to really dissect this game and play it at a really high level. And, and Marcus has gotten the most out of, out of his abilities probably than any player that, that I've ever been around in my life. And, and, and he can teach it. Like, so, so, you know, it's one thing to be able to do it, but can you teach it? Right. And that's, that's the thing with all three of these guys is that they're doers and teachers. Right. And I think they're te better teachers to be quite honest with you, than they even are doers. And, and so being have all, all three of those guys say yes to me, it was like grand slam and let's get to work. And that's what we've done since the day we came out here. Uh, we've just put our head down and, and uh, we have a so, term in our, in our program. Go ahead. I'm sorry. So just uh, officially share with everybody, your staff and where they came from, just so everyone knows Marcus, of course. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah. Marcus Holman. And, and then, uh, Adam, Adam Gittleman is our defensive coordinator and, and, and he helps me a lot with the recruiting part of it. Adam had been at Harvard for, I think, four years. And, and when I got him, he was working on his second year of being the head club uh, lacrosse coach at USC, um, University of Southern California. Um, and then, and then Will Manny, Will was at Wagner, uh, was a UMass grad and All-American, a Torton finalist. Adam was an All-American, a national championship player at, at Virginia, University of Virginia. And uh, the reason I knew those guys really well, Jamie, is that when running through running, uh, help running uh, Coach Precious camps, I hired all the staff for, uh, for, for, you know, for the staffing for the camps. And Will and, and Adam were two guys that I had hired originally, and I, and I kept asking them back uh, because they were, I got a chance to see them up front and, and, and personal coach young men, you know, kids through, through summer camps and winter camps. And as you know, Jamie, uh, I, and I, I say this for all the young coaches out there, as you know, it's great training ground for, for all of us uh, is, is, are those summer camps. And I got a chance to see them, you know, on the last day of a, of a, of a, of a tough session of a, of a week long camp when it's a hundred degrees outside, you know, continuing to, to give the effort and the passion and the coaching to the young boys, you know, where, where a lot of us don't want to do that anymore. Right. So, 
and and so Will and, and Mark uh, are are running the offense together, and they they work extremely well in tandem. Um, and then Adam and work, runs the D, and I, I I help him there a little bit, and then I oversee you know all three of those guys, and and I handle a lot large part of the recruiting. So that's how the staff is kind of formed um, right now. Awesome. Um, but oh, yeah, yeah we just dove right in. I had a great experience coaching gets with the Atlanta blaze for one season, just such a positive person. So on board, such a hard worker, you know, honestly, he's a, he's a, he's a, he's a really good person. So yeah. Awesome staff. So tell us what what the Phil philosophy podcast is made possible in part by the JM three video assessment tool. There's no question that video is critical to player development. One way or another, your son must utilize video to learn his game and the game. To learn more, see video testimonials, or register, go to www.jm3video.com. Tell us what, what it's like, um, you know, you sort of alluded to the culture you're building, you know, and sort of a little bit in the, in, in the shape of how it was at Hopkins. Um, how, how do you actually go about building a culture you know especially when you've kind of inherited some players and you're bringing players in how do you how do you actually you know give us some examples of some of the things you're doing to build your culture yeah I, I you know if there's anything I think I do well um and, and and this is open for debate um this part of the job is something that I truly uh I I relish and uh you know I I, I have a we have a very clear vision of what we want this to look like. And I think building culture comes, comes from that. I think you have to start with a vision, you know, what, how, what, what type of young men do you want? You know, what type, how, what type of lacrosse are you going to play? You know, how important is academics to you? How important is off the field, uh, 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 you know, issues to you? So, so I think you got to clearly define what your program uh, is to look like. Um, and and we have we did that as a staff. I I, I wrote uh, before I I got the job. Um, so I I I'm not very bright. So I take a lot of notes. And I have probably Jamie. And you would like this because this this is sort of how you are. You're just brighter. You can you're you're more apt to, to to get it into your thought processes. I have to read stuff and write stuff down multiple times before it it, it sinks into my head. So I, got my I had probably. With that, I'm taking notes as we go. So just so you know, so I have probably uh, I don't know five, six, seven, eight, eight, eight boxes of uh, of uh, of uh, you know notepads, white notepads, yellow notepads back in the day. Where where every meeting I've ever been in as a coach, as a volunteer, as an assistant, you name it. If it had to do with lacrosse, I had a notepad, and I just wrote stuff down and and continually write stuff down and I put it in a box and I, you know, one day I'd say to my wife, she would say, why are you saving all these things? And I said, one day I'm going to be a head coach somewhere. And, and I, and on these are things are important. So I took all those boxes and sifted through in the summer before I got out here. And, and I, and I wrote what are, what's called the pillars of, of Utah lacrosse. And it's about five pages. Uh, and it's a culmination of, not even five pages it's probably three and a half pages four pages um it's a culmination of all those notes from hopkins days from zim's days from billy tierney's time at, at, at hopkins i heard him say things from what freddie said to to what fresh said and how pat myers and 
and Dave Metz, you name it, and I could go on and on and on. Brooks Matthews and, and Brian Kelly's of the world, Bobby Schreiber. And, and, and so I, I compiled all that, and then I took out of that what I, what I felt, along with my own personal feelings of what, what I want our program to look like. Uh, and then I wrote the pillars, and the pillars uh, go into our binder, and the pillars are the foundation of Utah Lacrosse. Um, and they start with the five pillars of our program, which are humility, honesty, passion, gratitude, and trust. Now, I could go on forever about each one of those words, but the foundation of our culture starts with the understanding and, and, and the exemplifying these words in our daily lives. So, so to build a culture, it can't just be a lacrosse culture. Or it can't just be an off-field culture. It's got to be a complete culture. And we talk about being it being you being committed to the lifestyle of being a Utah lacrosse player. And what does that lifestyle looks like, look like? You know, humility is part of that lifestyle. Honesty is an essential quality of what a Utah lacrosse player has to build into his lifestyle, passion and gratitude and trust. And we start teaching from these pillars the, the moment that we step on the field with our team. On and off the field, we start teaching from, from these five pillars. That alone will allow you to start to establish a base. Because if you just take the word honesty, right, one of the bullet points that I have under honesty for our team, and, and I've always believed this in my life, is without honesty, everything else in your life is going to fall apart. Like if you're not being honest with yourself or if you're not being honest with your teammate, and if your teammate doesn't, isn't being honest with you, and if you're not being honest with your parents and your parents aren't being honest with the kids and you're, and you're not being honest with your teachers, you, you, you get where I'm going, right? Yeah. Um, you could go, you could go on and on with honesty as, as, as the starting point and the stopping point of the culture of your program. Um, so, so then, you know, we have to hold each other accountable for, for each one of those pillars as we build them in through, in through our lives. So for me, it's, it's a daily occurrence. I, I, I my goal as a, as a head coach in this program, and, and I had this goal at North Carolina, is I want to touch every single one of my players at least one time personally each day. All right. So I got 44 guys on my team right now that, that when I wake up in the morning, I have to find a way to touch each one of those players personally during the course of that day. And that touch may be a note, that touch may be a text, that touch may be just walking up and before practice starts and asking them how their night was or how that test was yesterday afternoon or, or, you know, how's your mom feeling? I know she's not doing well or, or, you know, how's your brother uh, lacrosse? Uh, how did football season go? You, I, you get me, right. You can go right. on and on and on with that. But, but our staff, our staff has a goal, a simple goal is to touch every single player on our team, each one of us every single day. That, that builds culture, right? Yeah. Um, so, you know, uh, but, but for us, um, then, then we have a component that we talk about for lacrosse excellence in Utah. And, and I believe these four components have to be developed with every one of our student athletes, again, every single day and over the course of, of the year. So if we're, if we're developing these four components and there, then it's a spiritual component, it's a mental component, it's a physical component, and it's a tactical component, right? So those four things have to be implemented every day in our processes on the field and off the field for us to continue to grow our culture. So the spiritual component, you know, we talk about faith in our program. We, we you know, a part of having spirituality is, is, is your integrity. Uh, are you a compassionate person? Are you willing to, to are you generous? 
Uh, do you have courage? Uh, you know, what, what level is your faith? If you want to know more about it, we, we expand that. If you want to learn more about courage, and then we start bringing guys out in practice saying that, hey, man, you know, you, you showed a lot of courage today in, in your approach to, 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 to this drill or, or whatever. And then, and then we have the mental component that we've got to develop. As you know, I, I believe everything in sports today, you know, at the end of the day, if, if, if Duke's playing Virginia physically, all those guys are going to look the same, right? right. It's where's the mental piece? You know, who has the edge mentally and, 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 and can consistently be tougher mentally over a course of time? And that takes many different facets, right? You know, mental isn't all about being, always being the toughest guy on, in the shed. You know, mental, mental is learning how to handle the, the setbacks in the course of the game and continue to push forward. Uh, listen to Nick Saban's talks. I, I listen to every single podcast I can get on Nick Saban now. John Wooden was my hero growing up, and, I, and I, he still is. Uh, Nick Saban has become more, more somebody I've been completely fascinated with these days um, on his approach. How can somebody do what he's doing right now at the level that he's doing it? It's just mind-boggling. Sure. And, and what can I learn from Nick Saban? And, and he, he clearly puts it back on the process of, of being resilient and mentally tough. Uh, so how do I teach that? How do we get our guys to start building visualization uh, and their mind and body preparation into their daily lives? Okay, so it's it's all about their daily lives. It isn't having to do with practice or a game. It's how do we become these people on a daily occurrence? Um, and to me, it's it's just it's a constant it's a constant uh, uh, evolution of each child every single day. Um, and, and that to me is the glory of this whole thing. It isn't about winning a lacrosse game and I don't mean that to sound silly, but, but yeah, yeah we ultimately all want to win, but you know, and then the physical component and then, then eventually the tactical component that we, we teach our guys every day. So I, I know that sounds all over the place. Oh, I'm trying to make it I, concise. I, I got, I'm going to have to ask you to keep going. That was so good. I think everyone would have loved to hear, would love to hear the physical and tactical component if you'll share it with us. Yeah, and, and you know, so the physical piece is is it's more than just being in shape. Okay, so so you know, nutrition, right? Uh, as you and I have grown through these games, and, and again, you have a, a an outstanding young man that's that's playing at the highest levels, getting the second Minto Cup ring, and playing at the University of North Carolina, and you have a daughter that, you know, how important is nutrition in their lives right now? Right? I mean, it's huge. It's huge. Right. So, so there's a, yeah, there you go. So my next thing was, it was hydration, nutrition and, and rest. Right. So are we building these components into our lives every day at the highest level to gain the best advantage we can physically? And, you know, so we have hydration testing. We have, we have uh, nutrition, uh, I have nutritionists on board that, that does a lot of this bod pod testing. And we take that information and we build it into our physical training, who I, I've been blessed to have a strength and conditioning coach out here that is off the charts. Uh, you, people will be hearing about him for years to come. Um, so we've, we've compiled this program to where we build all of this in, all right, to our processes that will allow us to be able to measure our guys as they're proceeding through our program to see if they're developing on a consistent basis. So it isn't enough just to get the guy in as a freshman and say, okay, this is our strength and conditioning program. And, you know, here's your bod pod testing or whatever. Well, 
this guy needs, we need to put 10 pounds on him. Uh, and he's shown a propensity to not hydrate. Uh, and he's not really strong uh, in the core uh, in, in, in our testing. And he's got, you know, some severe deficiencies. All right, well, yeah, but he's a pretty good lacrosse player. But as you and I both know, if all those other things don't develop over time, he's not going to do diddly squat for us on the field right. at some point in time because those things are going to catch up to him, right? So, so that's the physical piece that we're constantly working with our guys. Um, and, and, and then, you know, it's, and then again, you get back to the commitment. You know, your son is committed year-round now. Like back in our day, you weren't committed year-round. <laughs> I'd go play summer lacrosse, but I wasn't training and lifting and stretching and yoga. Are a huge part of our process on the physical piece of it. Um, all right, so so meditation. Um, we we you know we share books with our teams. Uh, we do meditation sessions, small group sessions with our guys. Um, you know, uh, one of the most powerful things we do, Jamie, is on, on every Wednesday night we we have a team, what we call is our sanctuary, and for six thirty to seven fifteen or so. No, I'm sorry, it's an hour and fifteen minutes or so. We'll we'll take a topic of discussion for the week and we'll bring it out to the team. Uh, and it may be, it may be meditation, you know, how do we, and we'll watch a video on it. Uh, it's stick stringing. So Adam does a huge segment on, on how do we string our sticks? Uh, we restring everybody's sticks when they get here. So I know we're both on a tangent, but, um, you know, and the last piece is tactical, right? All right. So, so yeah, you can do all this stuff, but you know, there's a lot of great tacticians in our game nowadays, as you know, uh, the sport is becoming more technical to some degree, if you want it to be that way. Um, how do we continue our skill development? Uh, we talk about doing it through intentional hard work. Um, Nick Saban talks about investing your time, not spending your time. I thought that was an awesome quote that we've built into our processes. Are we investing our time tactically to be better? Or are we just going out, picking up balls and shooting them, right? There's a big difference in investing your time on intentional work versus just saying, oh, I'm going to go, hey, coach, I shot 100 balls yesterday. Right. Yeah, but, but you didn't dodge. You didn't shoot them off a fake. You didn't, you know, you didn't roll back. You didn't build a three-step process into your dodge, step away, re-dodge, then shoot. And you did all of them at 30%, not 100%, right? I don't, I'd rather have a guy shoot 15 balls building intentional processes in at a hundred percent than a guy standing out there for 30 minutes, chucking up a hundred lacrosse balls. Right. So, so then we get better and then deepening and developing the knowledge of the game of lacrosse. Like I, 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 like a big part of our growth problem we have in this game is that we're losing the base of where this game came from. We want to spend a lot of time with our kids, teaching them where the roots are, who Brian Wood was, who Gary, who Jamie Monroe. You know, people say, and no, no discredit to Coach Tierney, he's a great friend of mine and obviously the greatest coach in our game ever. But, but you know, he didn't start Denver lacrosse. You did, okay? So, so Billy didn't come out and start it from scratch. You started Denver lacrosse. You know, what, how did that happen, right? Teaching our guys that. Teaching, you know, obviously the Indian roots. Um, and then, and then we, we just a big, group on the tactical piece on on relishing competition man you you know one of the things I ask my recruits I shouldn't say this most of them probably aren't listening but I ask straight you know do you love the game of lacrosse and Jamie you'd be surprised <laughs> at the answers I get right and I get some kids telling me that yeah I like it I mean it's fun I've really enjoyed it well guess what 
<laughs> that's not the right answer, right? So, you know, and I've got kids that weren't, weren't as highly recruited that, that look at me like I'm crazy. Like, what do you mean do I love it? Coach, it's everything in my life. And I, I want, you know, so, so, you know, just little things about relishing what we're doing um, and, and, and to continue to make it a point of emphasis. So when we practice, all right, every single part of these components have to be developed. So obviously, or how do you practice spirituality? Well, there's times and places on a lacrosse field in practice that it can easily bring in. I'll give you an example, and you probably saw the picture. We're out practicing one of our last practices of the fall, and we're on a snow-covered field um, that we just said, hey, boys, we're, we're practicing. This is it, right? And, and the sunrise was coming up, and it was probably one of the most glorious settings that I've ever seen in my life. And I blew the whistle and we all came in and we stood at midfield and we sat there as a team for probably two, three minutes, Jamie, and we didn't say a word. Nothing had to be said at that point in time. I mean, that, that was glory, right? That's a spiritual component to our lacrosse team that I don't want to miss, that I want to share with these guys. I start crying about stuff like this because it only happens on those fields, right? Um, so every piece of this has to be built in every day into our, into our process. That will help us develop a deeper sense of culture in our program. So, you know, just, just through our five pillars and then our, our components for lacrosse excellence is how we develop the, 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 the culture. And then the last piece I'll get into is accountability. Uh, I'm a big believer in being accountable. Uh, we have two main sayings in our program, Jamie, and one is no excuses. I abhor people or anything that has to do with an excuse. Uh, I, I just think we've built it way too much into the processes of our lives. And if you really work hard enough, you can find an excuse for every single thing. Uh, so we have no excuses in our program and we have a term at, that, that we call find a way. Um, so if you start building no excuses into your life and, and you look for ways to get things done versus ways not to do things, you already culturally are, are, are probably 90% more advanced than most of the people in our country today. So, so we talk about those things on a, on a consistent basis. Uh, and then we have team absolutes that we hold each other accountable to. And, you know, and at the end of the day, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a stickler uh, for, the, for the fundamentals and, and I don't let much slide. Uh, and I'm not afraid to have confrontational uh, conversations with, with my players and my staff uh, if, if they're not abiding to the culture of Utah lacrosse. And ultimately, as a leader, I think that's what it comes down to is holding myself to the highest degree of accountability uh, to my staff and to my players and to this university and holding the players to the highest degree of accountability to each other and to the staff and to me and to the university. Uh, and, 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 and once they get a feel that, that this is the way things are here uh, and, and it, it, this isn't misery, this is the lifestyle Right. Their lives become better. They become better students. They become more proficient on the lacrosse field. They live better lives. Okay. And that's a fact. That's not, that's not bullshit. That's a fact. Um, if you start, if you start living by a certain code um, of, of goodness and gracious and humility and gratitude and honesty and trust, your life becomes better. No doubt. That I do know. So, so, so there's our culture in a, in a nutshell, I guess. Awesome. I don't know if that is a nutshell, well, that was, but we live awesome. it every day. That was awesome. I love, I love, I love so much of it. There, there's, you could dive into and, and talk about any one of those components for days. I love the find a way piece too, because I feel like, you know, 
I think, I think that uh, in order to start a program the way you are, um, you know, and I know the feeling like you have to have the attitude of, you know, we're going to find a way we're going to do this. What do you mean? What do you mean? We can't do this. I'm going to do this. We're going to yeah. figure this out. We're going to do it. And you just do it. And I think that that whole attitude of find a way along with all of the ideals you've talked about, uh, are, are just so awesome. I want to talk about two more topics before I let you go. If you got, if you got more time. Yep. Cool. Love right. One is what, what, what is it looking like? You know, just give us all, you know, when is uh, the rest of the Pac-12 going to crack and start playing? Um, <laughs> I want to. I want to get. Uh, in your, I want to get in your conference and, and coach again someday. Oh my God! How cool would that be? Oh, um, I, I, I honestly, Jamie, I wish I was. I wish I had a better answer than than the one I'm going to give you. Um, I, I just don't know. I, I just there's so many moving pieces to this, as you know. Um, I, my gut says that. We're, we're not going to be the only guys standing out here in, in two to four years. I, I just firmly believe it. Um, you know, you hear rumors. I'm not in privy to any uh, uh, top-level conversations. Um, you know, I know my new AD, uh, who's been an absolute blessing, uh, is a big proponent of, of pushing forward with this. So I know, I know he's, he's working behind the scenes and, and, and encouraging other athletic uh, and administrators to, to, to listen and consider it. Uh, I think the women's thing has have a huge impact. Uh, I think the PLL is going to have a big impact to be quite honest with you, Paul, you know, shifting his headquarters out, out to the West coast, uh, potentially the Olympics, you know, being in Los Angeles, right. In, in that time frame, the 2020, not the, the year. So, so I think, I think there's a snowball up there, right? If I look out to the Wasatch right now, I think there's a snowball. I think we're part of a snowball. And I think we just got to continue to push the ball down the hill. And, and so I'm doing my part uh, uh, of, of, you know, speaking to every single person that's called that, to, to ask how this gets done. Is it feasible? And my answer is absolutely 100% yes. I'll give you, I'm not saying our blueprint is the right one, but, it sure as heck's worked right for us to this point. I'd go give you everything we've done to, to, to try to implement your way to make this work. Um, so I think it's going to happen. I, I, I don't know if there's ever going to be a Pac-12 men's lacrosse conference, but I think I, my dream is a Western lacrosse conference um, one day. And, and you could, you could kind of carve that out the best the way you would like to see it. But I think we're going to have two or three teams West of Denver I'm, I'm maybe maybe there's a dream one day that Denver and Air Force, you know, combine. I think there might be another school in Utah at some point down the road. Um, you know, I'd love to see an Oregon and and Stanford pop in. And but but right now, I I I just you know all I can do is do what you do is is promote the game and and push the snowball yeah. any direction that I think it's going to gather strength. But I think the Olympics, I think. The PLL, Paul's moving out there. And I think the women in the Pac-12 having such an impact that they've had on our sport yeah. right now is phenomenal. You know, and, and, and so, so, you know, let's just keep pushing. Yeah, I'm with you, man. I totally agree. All right, so last topic, you know, um, talk to us a little bit about, you know, I, I, there's a lot, of, uh, a lot of parents that end up tuning in on this because they know that they're going to get a nugget uh, of information about you know they have kids that are passionate about lacrosse and 
I just like to try to talk a little bit about recruiting and, and give people an idea of, of really what, what coaches are looking for. So clearly, you know, you've stated a lot of that already, you know, as far as well, the kind of person you want, the kind of culture you're trying to build and you need people to fit into that culture. Let's turn the topic uh, a little bit to, you know, the, the development piece and what you're looking for, you know, from, you know, from the, from the skill and the IQ and, and, you know, the multi-sport athlete. I mean, there's so many mixed messages. You hear people mm. say, like, we want multi-sport athletes. And then, and then it's like, hey, well, where, where were you, you know, in, um, last Sunday? <laughs> yeah. and right. And it's like, I really was hoping right. to see you. And it's like, well, I was, I played, you know, the state, you know, quarterfinal football game on Saturday and I'm beat up. And I just like, I can't, you know, I can't do that right now. And every coach would say, yeah, yeah, that's good. But they, but they might have to move on to the next recruit. So there's a lot of mixed messages. Yeah. Um, and there's a lot of mixed messages about, about development. I, you and I have talked a little bit about this when you were about mm. to recruit one of my former players. Um, but I'm a huge yeah. believer in playing pickup games and, and like literally getting back to the roots of let's play this game for the fun of it. And, oh, by the way, there is no better model of getting good at lacrosse than playing little three-on-three games. So, I don't know. Just give no us question. some thoughts on, you know, you, your kids all played college lacrosse. Um, you know, if you were a, if you were a young dad now, you know how would you look at it differently, knowing that you had all this passion in your kids? Yeah, I, I feel bad because I I, I do think there's uh, there's an inordinate amount of pressure in our sport uh, for for specialization and and for for you know kids to be playing in X Y Z tournaments, et cetera. But I'll back up. I mean, we have a clear from our recruiting perspective. I'll start there and then I'll I'll delve into the youth. Nice. Uh, issues but um, we have a very clear description on how we want to play all right now now are we going to be able to play that way year one in some senses yes but but you know probably not as clean as we want to play in year three four or five right but 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 as a staff we spent an inordinate amount of time dissecting hashing what do you like what do you don't like how can we teach what do you teach best what do I teach best how do we want to look so we've come up with a clear description. So I know, I know when I go to any tournament uh, in our midfield, I have a pretty good parameter of what I want out of a midfielder, size-wise, skill-wise, on-ball, off-ball, shooting, uh, hands, et cetera. Okay, so for us, it's, I, I don't want to say it's simple because it's not, but we're trying to simplify our process the best we can to get the best. One of the things that I would give any parent out there right now some advice for their kids is throwing and catching. Uh, I, I, I think it's absurd uh, uh, the, the amount of kids playing lacrosse that can't throw and catch properly. Um, and, and you can take that any which way you want, but, but I think our sticks are strong, uh, a mess. We can't get the ball out of our stick without four or five cradles. Uh, we're, we're not throwing passes. Uh, on on a, on a rope ear to ear, we we haven't figured out how to give touch on some passes. Um, it, just so many things about that bother me that, that that I could go on for an hour on throwing and catching. So uh, it's a standard uh, for Utah lacrosse as a team is that we have to we have to be better at throwing and catching. All right, um, you know, and you got to be a willing participant in that. You know, showing your stick, calling for your teammate. You know, being able to move into space, etc. I look for simple things like that because a lot of kids can't do it, right? And, 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 and if you can't do that, you're never going to play at the next level, period. I don't care if, you know, the, he, Paul Rabel could do that. I mean, he, he could also run, 
right by you and jam the ball down to the back of the net, but he could also work very hard to be able to catch and throw properly uh, uh, on a consistent basis. So, you know, we know what we're looking for. Um, you know, we're, we're very, we're going to be very picky. Uh, I, I'm under no pressure here. Uh, you know, we want to be as good as we possibly can, but we also want to build a program that's going to last a lifetime. So I'm very picky about the kids we get in. I want multi-sport athletes. I'm very, very, very cautious on, on just uh, recruiting a kid. If you tell me he's only playing one sport and I'm developing my skills and I'm, if you're not competing, man, you ain't getting better. I don't care what you're doing. If you're not in a competitive situation, I do not care. You can go out and throw the ball against the wall 9,000 times. You're missing a vital piece of your growth. Um, so we're looking for kids that play multiple sports. I don't care if you don't start for your basketball team. I, I, I hope you're the sixth, seventh guy. Maybe you're the practice player, all right? You're learning a valuable skill. You're learning how to be a great teammate, and you're also keeping yourself in a competitive mode at the same time while providing a service to your school by being on that team, a lot of schools, smaller schools don't have a bunch of kids that can come out and play basketball or, or whatever. So do it. Right. And, and that shows me a lot about your character um, that, that I think gets overlooked. So we, we're, every, everything gets taken into consideration for us, how the kid interacts with the parents uh, on their visit. You know, how, how are they going to interact with me? on a one-on-one for, for 25 or 30 minutes when mom and dad aren't in a room? How do they answer a question when mom and dad are in the room? And I ask, ask the kid directly, uh, and then the mom starts to answer consistently for the kid. And I tell her, I don't want to know what you have to say. I want to know what Johnny has to say. How does that interaction occur, right? And, and so, so a lot of little things get missed on the recruiting part of it. Um, you know, I, I – so, so from that perspective, uh, you know, I think we're, we're in a good track. Uh, we're we're, we're going to take our time and we're going to look for guys that fit our profile the best that we can. Uh, and, and, uh, and ultimately, Jamie, and you know this from being at Denver, uh, I really want kids that really, really, really want to be here, right? right. Um, there's something to be said for a kid that's willing to take a chance I don't think you're taking a big chance on us, to be quite honest with you, but, but for now I'll say, okay, it's a chance. You're getting great coaching. You're going to a great university in one of the most beautiful places in the United States, and you're getting an awesome education, uh, and you're start of something that, that is going to have a life-changing effect on a game of lacrosse. I don't think that's a great chance, right? I, I think you're a fool if you don't take it. Yeah, but if you're going to take a chance, I want a kid that just really wants to be here. You know, and, 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 you know, and I, and I want some kids with chips on their shoulders. Uh, maybe they're not. I've learned a lot from Kyle Whittingham, our football coach here, uh, who does a phenomenal job uh, constantly. I mean, we won the Pac-12 South this year. Um, you know, we're not UCLA or USC or Stanford or Washington or Oregon. And, and he does a great job of recruiting three-star athletes. And, and coaching them up to the highest degree. But those kids have an edge, man. You ever watch Utah play football defensively? You yeah. watch our team play football. They have an edge. And, and, and the reason they have an edge is because they carry it with them because, because maybe, maybe USC passed them over, right? And now I get to play USC. And, and guess what? You know, we'll see, all right? So, so I, I, we're looking for kids like that. But, but I think a large part of this development you know, has to go back to square one again. And I don't know how you get it there because I'm, I'm afraid I'm afraid the cat's kind of out of the bag to some degree. Um, you know, so so if I had any advice for parents, 
A, have your kids play multiple sports. B, please let your kids fail. Please let them fail. Please, if they get cut from their club team and they have to go down to the B team, don't take them to another club team that's down the block because they can go play on the A team. There's a reason he got cut. You may disagree with the coaches, but there's a reason. Let him learn from it. Let him accept the fact that maybe he's not good enough right now and, and learn that the way you get better in life is by handling these setbacks, figuring out what went wrong, developing the mindset of, of okay, I can, I can do this. It might take a little bit more work and then go out and, and, and let him, let him try it again. And then again, and then again, and then again, you know, and I know that's a tough thing for parents as you and I both know, you're, you're, you're only as happy as your unhappiest child. Right. <laughs> and, and, but, but the greatest thing I, I honestly did as a parent, my wife and I, and my wife is, she's much more competitive than I am was we didn't make excuses for our kids. And if they didn't make a team and they got cut or they didn't start tough stuff, right. Figure out how to get on the field, man. I, I can't tell you how many conversations I had with my kids that way. Hey, if you're not good enough, you're not good enough. Figure out how you get on the field and, and, and serve a role on your team. So those talks are hard for parents to have with their kids, but I encourage them highly um, because that's the only way the kids are going to develop and get better. Um, and then, and then the, the, I think the last piece, uh, well, but, you know, maybe I'm, I already touched on the last piece. Did I cover it? Well, I mean, you've covered a lot of great stuff. Um, <laughs> I, I love everything you're saying. Even if you, even if you repeat yourself, I think it's all great stuff. Um, you know, one of the, I've been, you know, my, just like you, my, I've spent a lifetime thinking about lacrosse and thinking about developing players and all of these things. And, you know, you think about, you know, I, I think one of the sad things about our, our society right now is we have literally, we, we trust the youth sports machine too much. We plug in and then say, okay, good, go. So in other words, you know, when, I, when we grew up, I'm sure it's the same with you and it was definitely with me. It, in high school, it didn't really matter who my coaches were that much. Like, they were great mentors. I don't mean it that way. But they weren't making me the player. Yep. I made myself the yep. player. I played a lot. Yep. I, and and, and I, I played, like, all different kinds of games and all different sports. You know, yeah, did I play wall ball? Sure. Did I play, like, little trash can games? Yes, all the time. Little keep away games constantly did we shoot yeah we shot did I do one-on-ones with friends yes I did in the backyard we would strap it on and and or or not and we did this in all the different sports and and I I think back and 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 this is not to like rip on this generation because it's not it's not their fault it's just that at all of the responsibility for learning how to play a sport has been put on the youth program and the youth coach in the Mm -hmm. club and with the exception of if your dad kind of knows what you're doing, then you can go in the backyard with him and, and, and then and play around with him. My, my dad, my parents really didn't have, have much of an impact other than support. They didn't teach me how Same. to play so I, I did it. And, and the reason why I say this is because if you're from, you know, you're, how about the surrounding states you, from you and you're in Nevada or you're from Idaho or you're from, you know, whatever, these places where there's no lacrosse, you could make yourself world-class yeah. and good enough by simply getting your stick in a wall, getting your, a buddy and, and throwing and catching on the run, doing one-on-ones and playing, shooting on a goalie and playing in little small-sided three-on-three games. If you do that, 
it, you don't even have to worry about how good your coach is. It's a bonus if he's great. If he's not that awesome, it's still going to be fun and you're playing lacrosse. And I just feel like this is one of the parts of our, of our culture that it's kind of sad. And if you look around, you know, all around the world, there's, there's, there's world-class players developing in the streets or on the beaches in the sport of soccer or in basketball on playgrounds. And these kids, you know, or, or in, in, on, on, on the Iroquois reservations, that they're not yep. – they're just playing the game and getting good enough. And I, I just – I say this to you only because I just, I just want to get your opinion on it as, as part of our closing thoughts. I, I just find it interesting – and I feel like there's incredible – you could have incredible hope that, that your kids can, can do whatever they want to do. Uh, you, you, Jamie, you, 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 look, man, you, you, you're spot on. You're, you're, you, couldn't, you couldn't be more right. And, and, you know, and again, it's a cultural thing in the sense of, you know, I go back to where I grew up. Before I moved to this tobacco farm, we lived in this little town it's called Shadyside, Maryland. It's 50 miles south of Annapolis. It's – near the water but it's a poor like waterman's town and our our town i tell this story to my team all the time and a couple of things you know uh, so so let me uh, let me finish the story and i'll back up but but you but you hit on some things that are so relevant right now that that but we're not doing anything about it parent people are hearing this and they're like oh yeah well sure but that's not the way it is today well it can be that way today yeah. if you're willing to put your look what you did with your kid and in, 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 in taking them up into Canada and stuff. You're so far out of your comfort zone of, of putting them in a position to where they're they're going to fail. Your kids failed up there more than they succeeded. If I'm if I'm probably guessing right until the yeah. end, right? Tom's first year, right? he scored one goal in 25 games. Yeah, and he got his ass kicked, and and, <laughs> he got and you said tough. Sh <laughs> you said tough shit. You're going to get tougher, and that's the way it is. So you know, but but we're not willing to do that. Number one, number two is. I grew up in this town, and, and our town was segregated. I was born in 1960. Half of Shadyside, the, the white people lived in the southern part of Shadyside, and, and the black people lived in the northern part of Shadyside. That's the way it was. We didn't go to the same elementary school, Shadyside Elementary, Lula Z. Scott. But every Sunday, every Sunday, the best basketball players from, from, from Scott Town Road, which is the dividing line in our town, would, would either we would go up past Scott Town to play at Lula Z. Scott, or they would come down past Scott down to play at Shadyside Elementary every Sunday, and it was basketball. And they would bring 10 guys, and we would have 10 guys. And it was, there was no officials, okay? There wasn't a scoreboard, all right? And we played full-court basketball on, on, on rims with no nets and, and, and literally a gravel kind of a concrete uh, basketball court. You know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah. And, and, we, and we played for keeps, Okay. And there weren't any parents out there, not one parent, not one parent. My mother never saw me play a lacrosse game until I was at Johns Hopkins University. Fact. And then she stopped coming because she's like, I can't stand sitting there watching you in that position that you play. So she wouldn't come, right? My father was never involved in my life, so it didn't matter, right? Not one parent there, not an official there, not a scoreboard there, no uniforms, just, just street ball. And, and that's where I learned how to be tough. That's where I learned how to, how to get my ass kicked and, and, not, and realize I'm not good enough. So when Sunday came and I didn't get picked to go play, Monday through Saturday, I went over to that schoolyard and I shot baskets. From the time I got home from school, I happened to live across the street until my mother called me in to get dinner at night. All right. And I made games up. 
make pretend. I was John Havlicek. That was Earl of Pearl Monroe. There was five seconds on the clock. There was, we talk about this with our team right now. Let's just make pretend you're doing something different. Make pretend you're in a national championship game and there's a minute and a half left on the clock. Let's, let's pretend, right? Nothing wrong with imagination when it comes to sports, right? And that made me a better person and it made me a much better athlete. All right. So, so, so I'm with you a thousand percent. Kick the can, pick up teams, uh, the shady side in the Kiwanis club uh, to, to play baseball with uh, you name it. And, and, and now what I, what I, what I feel bad about is that we're almost afraid to let our kids out without somebody watching them. And that's right. scary, but, but I think that's a byproduct of what's happened. Everything well, has to be that. so organized. There's right? that and there's the, uh, and all the planning, you know, and it's like trying to keep up, you know, it's like, Oh, I got to go to this yep. lesson over here. I got the strength coach over here. I got this. And, you know, it's, it's kind of the world we live in. But let me ask you a question. You, you want multi-sport athletes. What if you got this great cross player, you really like him, he's a really good athlete, and you're like, hey, so, uh, you know, hey, Jamie, what, what are the sports you play? They're like, oh, well, uh, play basketball, um, play, I play football, I play hockey. You're like, oh, nice. What, so what teams you play? Oh, no, I just play pickup. I play pickup basketball, like, every day. Um, you know, would you look at that with – Wow, that kid played. I mean, because when I think about myself, I didn't really play basketball, except I played a lot of basketball. <laughs> I just played pickup yeah. basketball all the time. And I feel like we as coaches sometimes don't necessarily even give that stuff the respect that we know it deserves in our own past. And I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm on this mission to bring back the Sandlot, Brian, and, and, and I'm trying to educate people on this. Oh I sincerely believe. How about if somebody sent you a, a highlight video uh, of, of their three by three game in the street, you know, as a part of what the, to show you their skills and their IQ and how much they love it. You know, I mean, I'm all, I'm all for it. And, and to be quite honest with you, I would probably look at it. Uh, it's not the same with maybe even a little bit more of intrigue, the sense that the kid's willing to go out there and organize and be part of something on his own without having all the, all the bells and whistles. Right. right. The kid sends me a highlight reel of a, of a, of a club, hockey program he's playing for in 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 detroit you're dang right i'm looking at it because he's probably getting his ass kicked by some old goon in there you know that, that could give a shit about playing lacrosse so i'm all for it man i i'm i'm in your camp game yeah. a thousand percent um i just we've gotten carried away with with so much stuff and 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 i don't i i i don't mean to say it like i'm i it's I all good, down right? upon it i I just feel oh, bad. Yeah. I feel bad. It is. It, it, it eventually it is. But, but I think I think we're missing something, and yeah. and and we're missing a part of our culture that is getting lost. And and it was a big part of our culture that 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 forged really strong relationships. And and it also just made you tougher. And 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 it it helped it helped uh, you figure out failure. And 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 I'm not sure. The message, a large part of the sports in our culture forever was, was character and, and teamwork and failure, right? What are the lessons that we are learning from these things that will help us be better men, be better people? And we're, 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 we're trying to remove some of the most important pieces of what sports has always been, uh, been valuable for is, is failure and, and, and teamwork and do my job. You hear Bill Belichick and Nick Saban talk about this all the time. Just do your job, right? Just well, to learn how to do your job, you've got to be a willing participant. You can't just come in and say, hey, look, I score four goals a game. Well, guess what? In my offense, you're not going to be that guy. 
So here's what I need you to do. Oh, oh no, coach. Like, no, this is what I've all, no, no, you, you got to understand something. You, we need you to do your job. Right. And, and, but we're not, there's a lot of these kids aren't being taught that right now. And I think, I think, I think the bad thing is it's setting everybody up for failure. Last piece of that, we started a little club program here um, called the Salt Lake Summit. And, 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 and you and I have talked about the club programs and I don't want to be hypocritical and, and there's value if it's being run properly. And I, and I wasn't sure this is something we all wanted to do, but the staff felt that's the best way for us to get totally immersed into this whole area. We tried different things, but it wasn't working. We just weren't touching enough kids is, is to develop. So we have our club program around. So the first meeting I had last year, clearly explaining what, how we're going to go about this, we lost people because they, they, they were like, well, well we're, we're, you're going to go play in this tournament, right? And you're going to go play. And I'm like, no, we're not, we're not, we're not, we're not doing that. It's a lot of money. And, your kids not get better and we're going to play three by games and we're going to make games up and blah, blah, blah. So, but I had a dad come up to me, actually had tears in his eyes. This is a true story, Jamie. He's got three kids. He spent $30,000 so far on, on taking his kids all over this country uh, in, in, in playing in, in club events. And, and, and this is a man, Nobody had $30,000 to blow, but he didn't have $30,000 to blow. And he just, he said, thank you. I, I just, I, this makes me feel better. And, and I'm just, I'm grateful for the fact that, that we don't have to do this anymore. And, and, you know, so for, for me, that was all worth it, right? Just to having that feeling, but holy cow, I'm with you, man. I, I'm, I'm, I'm in your camp, 100,000%. Listen, there's no, I think clubs are great. They're, they're, they're it's fun. You know, it's just that, you know, playing youth sports is awesome. We love watching our kids play games, all of it. But there's something what's been lost that, that has to be gotten back is, is don't don't assume that anybody is going to like take care of developing your son or developing you, you have to do it yourself. And you can do it for free with your friends and actually really, really good at lacrosse. So, hey, Brian, without I want to say thanks for uh, coming on. Uh, the podcast. It was absolutely a pleasure to listen to you. I wish you the best of luck in 2019 and uh, hopefully we'll get you back on here someday. Uh, anytime, Jamie, you're the best. And I just want to thank you for what you're doing for the game and, and all the work that you put into to, to putting content and information out there. It's so valuable for our sport, man. And, and, and it comes from the great spot with you. It's right from your heart and I know how much you love this game. So um, can't wait to get you out here uh, yeah, for a weekend it, visit with visit with the youth. Thanks, Jamie. Thanks. Happy holidays. Hey, Merry Christmas to you Merry and your Christmas family. To you. Same to you, bud. All right, bud. Thank Take you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. The Philocrosophy Podcast is brought to you in part by the JM3 Lacrosse Academy. This 13-week online program is designed to teach cutting-edge lacrosse skills and IQ. Athletes will learn dozens of new techniques, creative drills, X's and O's, and most importantly, how to integrate it all into their game. For more information, go to www.jm3academy.thinkific.com.